You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. In my early 20s, I went to Kauai, Hawaii with two friends, my very closest friend in the world, Denise, and another good friend, Pam. I was driving along one day, and we, I pulled into this like little, tiny little parking area that was by a gorgeous cove, and I noticed there's nobody in the cove. I don't know where this thought came from, but out of the blue, into my head, it came, we should go skinny dipping. Now, I was not in the habit of skinny dipping. This was a very risque thing for me. But I thought it was irresistible. So I say to my friends, let's do it. Pam says, no way. Absolutely no way. But with a little further conversation, Denise agreed to do it with me. So we strip, put our close by a little rock, and we run into this gorgeous, warm water. On the way, we passed a sign that had some pictures on it, but we didn't really pay attention to it. We just go out into the water. We're floating away with the tide as it's carrying it out. And Pam says, if you don't come back right now, I am taking your clothes. (laughs) She wouldn't do that. She did. (laughs) She got in the car with our clothes and drove away. (laughs) But I'm kind of doing what you're doing. (laughs) It's funny, she'll come back. And it just was so awesome to be doing this daring thing. You know, we're in Hawaii, we're naked, we're free. And (laughs) so we're out there a little while, and Denise... Denise says, Gail, what are, what are the, um, she called them um, blue threads. What are these blue threads? I know nothing about the ocean. I have no idea what they are, but I say with confidence, it's nothing. Let's just enjoy being naked. She's concerned. I'm not. We are floating, floating, laughing, splashing, having a wonderful time. When all of a sudden, we see this snorkeler guy, and he's coming toward us, and now I'm concerned. (laughs) And we try to cover up everything that we can cover up, and he keeps coming, and he keeps coming, and Denise is saying, I knew this wasn't a good idea. (laughs) The guy gets close enough for us to hear him, sticks his head out, and shouts at us, this is dangerous water. Didn't you see the sign? Those are jellyfish all around you. You need to get out right now. Well, I will save you the rest of the embarrassing story, but we live to tell about it. (laughs) Now, I have been wondering for the last couple of weeks, what makes me ignore warnings sometimes? 
I don't know, maybe you never ignore a warning, but I think most of us do. I was, think, I was listening with interest to the news, and the, on the news feed, the stories that were coming out from Florida this last week, and as the storm of a century is approaching, and the governor and everyone and their dog is saying, evacuate, evacuate, do it now, do it now. Some people just didn't. Now, I know some had good reasons for that, so no judgment in what I'm saying at all. After all, I ignore warnings. But I do think some, some people were just, the, there was kind of a testing fate, right? It won't happen to us. We are um, in a series of sermons we're calling When Things Fall Apart. And in it, the prophet Jeremiah, God calls the prophet Jeremiah to come and warn the people of Israel that if they don't repent, which simply means turn around, if they don't repent, their world is going to fall apart. The truth is, their world does fall apart. See, the warning was that if they didn't turn around to God, the mega power of Babylon would come and destroy them, literally destroy their land, their temple. Many people would die. Um, a whole bunch of them would be, well, the majority of them that were left were shipped off and, and uh, deported to Babylon for 40 years. They were devastated. Their world did fall apart. We have this word because we can learn from their mistakes. The warnings are urgent. They're at times desperate. Jeremiah weeps at what's happening and at the hardness of the heart of his people. They sound... Um, they sound harsh, punitive even. But they're given as a warning so that if we heed them, we will be helped, not hurt. Listen for the word of God as it's found in Jeremiah 18. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at a wheel. The wheel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I'll change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And in another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, 
I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that my words would be faithful to you. I pray that it would not return void, but that it would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Give us ears to hear and a will to respond. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to say about this particular text is that God is absolutely sovereign, that God is in control, that God calls the shots. He can do with us what he wants, just like the potter does with the clay. I uh, have a friend, a former parishioner, who is a potter. And so I asked her if I could just come watch her work at her wheel this past week. It's just a beautiful thing to see her take this glob of clay and put it on her wheel using water to keep it moist, shape it into this beautiful vase. Within a few minutes, right in front of my eyes, she, she created this work of art. It was absolutely fascinating to watch. That's what Jeremiah was watching. But then something happened. The clay was spoiled in some way. And so he probably smooshed it down and, and reworked it, made something else out of it. I ask Allie if that ever happens when she's working with clay. Does she ever have to start over, basically, with the clay if it's not turning out the way she wants? Oh, she said, all the time. All the time. I want it to be exactly what I want it to be. And if it's not, I start over. In verse 6, God says, Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. He's absolutely in control. He can shape whatever he wants with it, out of his people. But the warning is very strong that right now he's shaping disaster against Israel. He's, he's actually shaping up Babylon, the, the mega power. It's a strong warning. The warning is repent, turn back to me. He's been saying that over and over and over this whole book, and it's just getting stronger. He is God, they are not. He can do whatever he wants. That's a good reminder, I think, to all of us. God is God. I am not. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is God. I am not. Now say to your neighbor, God is God. You are not. <laughs> right. It's a good thing to remember. Every once in a while, Tom will 
say, you know, there are certain things that I, I do and certain things that I don't do because I fear God. A couple of weeks ago, he said, I will never commit adultery because I fear God. That made me happy. <laughs> he also fears me in that instance. <laughs> God is sovereign. God is absolutely in control. And we respect that. God's people need to respect that and remember that. Our youngest son, Zach, is, a, is an attorney, and um, he, he used to work with this lady who was extremely anti-God, and they were friends and had lots of discussions. One day they were having this discussion about something that was happening politically, and um, they were both appalled by it. And she said, I hope they get prosecuted. And Zach said, they'll never get prosecuted. He said, you have the same problem they do. You don't believe in judgment. You see, I know they'll be judged. And I hope it will be swift and strong. And then when he was telling me the story, he said, the, the thing I realized is that she has nowhere to turn except the courts. And they will inevitably fail her. There are some things that world leaders, nations, kingdoms have done in the past, are doing right now, and continue to do that absolutely are heinous. And it is very clear when they do them, they have no fear of God. They don't have any regard for God whatsoever. There, there are war crimes. There are abuses of women and children, um, racial abuses, uh, abuse of those who are poor and oppressing the poor. There are horrible, horrible things. And it's not just other nations that do them. Ours does it as well. And where, where there is no regard for God, one day there will be. Because we know that Jesus Christ will come again. And when he does, he will judge. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, well, there is a God. And Jesus, he is the Lord. And there will be no more evil because God will banish that forever and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There are times where I, I find myself just getting sometimes overwhelmed by the brokenness and the evil that is out there. And I find myself praying, come, Lord Jesus, come now. Just do it now. Get, get this over with. And bring your kingdom. He could, you know. And he will. But he hasn't done it yet. And the second thing that I want to say in this scripture text is that we need to notice in this text, we're not puppets. He's sovereign, yes, but we're not puppets. The way we respond when he warns us about something, 
matters for the future. The way we respond really matters. When God gives us an opportunity to, to turn around, if we do, one thing will happen. If we don't, another thing may happen. Verses 7 and 8, he's talking about declaring um, what, what he'll declare during a, na- a nation or to a nation or a kingdom. He says, if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I'll change my mind about the disaster I intended to bring on it. And he says that again, another time. Uh, depending on what they do, I'll change my mind. Theologian Walter Mobley uses these examples that I think are good ones. If someone says to a person that's carelessly stepping out onto a busy road, you're going to be run over, that's not a done deal. If it's meant to warn him, get out of the road. If he gets out of the road, one thing will happen. If he gets into the road, another thing may happen. If I say, if someone says, I love you, the hope is you're going to say, I love you in return. And if that happens, then our future of our relationship will draw closer and, and it'll go in one direction. If I say, I love you, and you say, sorry, but I don't love you, the future of the relationship goes in a very different direction. God's loving purpose is to mold us into this beautiful work of art that he's created us to be, reflecting the, the goodness, the loving, the generosity, the, the, the just righteousness of his character himself, of Jesus' character himself. Jesus says, I, I, I know you by name. God says, I formed you in your mother's womb. I, I know all about you. I know the things that pull you away from me. I see it when it happens. But I'm not done with you. Turn back to me. I'll mold and remold and reshape you into this beautiful work of art that you were created to be in the first place. God hasn't given up on us, but the real issue in this text is, will they heed the warning? Will God's people heed the warning? One of my favorite texts in the New Testament comes from Hebrews. We must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Israel, at the point that Jeremiah is talking to them, they've drifted so far away they they need a, a redo. They really need a redo. Folks, that could be us. That that is God's church, Christ's church. And that It could be, and it often is us. We don't need to get to the point where we need to redo, though. God's design for his people is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that our desire for him results in us in this beautiful fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, all these beautiful things. It's a, it's a warning sign to us when we're irritable all the time and, 
and we're stingy, right? When our life becomes all about us, when we're more about our own comfort and our own lifestyle, ignoring the fact that others have, a need, have needs and need care and provision and, and, the, and the word of God, the hope of the gospel given to them. Anytime our fellowship becomes exclusive or divisive or we, we begin to be inattentive um, or perhaps even ignore people who are different from us, uh, people who are new to the community. Anytime we become self-absorbed and, and we forget that we're called to be out there the way Clint so often talks about, we need to turn around. That's, that's not the way God wants to mold us. The warnings here at this point are very dire. And it's because they've been warned and warned and warned and warned and warned and that it's, it's pretty imminent. But they've had warning signs all along, way before it was so dire. Way before it was so dire. We get warning signs that we've drifted all the time, way before things are dire. You know, if the husband says to a wife, I'm not satisfied with our marriage, that's a time to respond, not to wait till the, the divorce happens. Somebody hears you talking to your kids and they, they say, boy, that, those words were, you were really hard there. That, those words were harsh. I remember my dad, this got to be 35 years ago, my dad said to one of his golfing buddies who was quite wealthy and very self-absorbed, you know, if you put $100 in the offering plate every once in a while, that might do you some good. I don't know if he did or not. You wake up hungover morning after morning after morning after morning. Somebody I know and love dearly is in the hospital right now because she ignored those warnings. And then the warning signs got more and more dire. And I don't know, I don't know if she'll live. I can think of many times as a pastor of a church when there were warning signs and sometimes people spoke them or sometimes I sensed them, but I didn't, I didn't respond. I, I think, I didn't think it was that bad. As Christians, our whole life belongs to God, right? Everything we are, everything we do, our marriages, our work, our friends, our family, our everything belongs to God. And when, when we drift, God wants to bring us back. He wants us to turn back so then he can, he can take whatever's happening and he can mold and remold and shape and reshape. We are not perfect. The church is certainly not perfect. Uh, no, no individual church and certainly not the big C church. But from God's perspective, we are still an ongoing transform, transformative work of art in progress. No matter how marred you are, no matter how dry you've been, 
I watched Allie. She said, if, if, it, if it gets dry, if, it, if I haven't used it long enough, the clay, I just put it in some water and it, it restores. No matter how marred, no matter how dry, no matter how spoiled, in God's hand, as a potter, he molds, he remolds us. I, um, I asked my friend, you know, what are the key things here? And she said, she said um, it's got to be centered, and then the potter needs to use pressure, steady pressure, in order to shape it. And uh, when she first started on this blimp of clay, it wasn't centered, and I watched her put pressure on it to get it centered, because you can't work with it if it's not centered. I think the first thing we need to know if we heed the warning is that it means change. We're, we're not going to go the same way we were going before. And, and God's going to move us, and there will be some pressure. It, it may be not comfortable. But he's got to get us centered so that he can then work with us. If we're individually or it's a church, we're centered on issues, issues politics, consumerism, sexuality, self, self-centeredness. If, if, if we're centered on any, anything else and he says, turn back, then know he's going to use that steady pressure to get us centered back in the, in the love of Christ. And then this, the wheel spins. You sometimes, if you're like me, feel like life is spinning too fast. It's, it's going way too fast. But I, I was reminded this week that the, the potter controls the speed that the wheel is going. Not too fast, not too slow. That means we got to trust him. we got to be patient. He's not finished with us individually. He's not finished with the church. He may have to start over again and work again, and, but he's working. And, this, and, and until he's done, he's not done. Jeremiah's warning is very strong. The only issue is will they heed the warning? We know they don't. So then what about us? Are there warnings in your own life? that you're drifting? If so, the Lord is saying, turn around, come back to me. I can take whatever good, bad, ugly thing in your life and I can make it into this beautiful work of art that looks like Jesus. So will you heed the warning and will you turn around? For God's sake, your sake, and the sake of the world. I hope the answer is yes. Pray with me.